Today, we will be finishing our series in the book of Romans, and our scripture reading is Romans 16, 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, hey, good morning. Let me uh, just join Caitlin in welcoming you this morning, whether you're with us online or here in person. Uh, it's good to be with you. You know, um, if you were to be with our family a couple nights a week, we would gather around the TV and we would be watching The Voice. Has anybody ever seen The Voice here? It's that, you know, musical singing competition in which kind of four superstar judges pick their teams, battle it out, and try to have the top singer. And this year, like most years, they, they add a new coach. And this year, the new coach is Ariana Grande. Has anybody heard of her? Yeah, she's got like 238 million followers on Instagram, a few more than me. And um, that you guys aren't even alive today. All right. Um, but what's remarkable about the show is because she's a new judge, there have been moments where people have just exclaimed in the middle of the show, I love you, Ariana. Like, I mean, just not even told to. And there's, they, they've, they've done some outtakes. So, so for example, a couple episodes ago, there's one in which Ariana actually went over to one of the um, people that have yelled her name and actually met them face to face. There's two guys. And you watch this outtake, and it took all of who they were not to fall on their faces in awe. Now, let me be honest, some of you might be a little bit cynical. Some of you might be like, that would be amazing. But that scene tells us something about ourselves. That we were created to magnify beauty and to magnify greatness. And we all do it. Think for a moment about when you see that great work of art. Or how about this, when you see that great work of architecture and how they designed the building. Or think for a moment about your favorite work of literature. You know, it's that book that you keep on recommending to your friends, right? Or this afternoon, some of you are going to watch a game, right? And you're going to be texting your friends saying, did you see that? Because you're going to see a play that was so amazing, that took such skill and athleticism, that you can't do anything but exclaim, did you see how great that was? Or some of you, you've got a really, really close friend, or you've got a spouse, and there's something about them that is so commendable that you can't help but tell your friends about them because of the character they have and who they are. You see, no matter who we are, all of us, whether we're religious or non-religious, in some way or another, when we see beauty, 
When we see greatness, we can't help but magnify it. And Paul has something to say about that today. In fact, he closes the letter to the church at Rome with what people call a doxology, which is just a fancy way of saying, a formal way of saying, let me bring this to a consummation, which is this, that if you've really seen God for who he is in the gospel, it will bring you to praise. It will bring you to praise him. Now, as soon as I say that, some of you, if you're honest, perhaps you're here this morning and you're just curious about Christianity. Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you, got, maybe you lost a bet after Thanksgiving and you had to show up here. Or maybe church has just been on the back burner and you hear that, that note of, hey, that you should magnify this God and it seems a little bit maybe forced. Or maybe it feels a little bit like, well, that's just a religious exercise. That's just what religious people do. But let me remind you that you do it as well. And others of you, those of you who are familiar with the church, familiar with this setting, maybe familiar with the gospel, there's a sense in which you kind of approach this passage and you, you sit there and you're like, yeah, I know that's the right answer. I know that's what I should do. But oftentimes, if we're honest, our heart is disengaged. There's a line this week I read from C.S. Lewis, and he, he, he writes this, he says this, but God wills our good, and our good is to love him with that response of love proper to creatures, and to love him we must know him, and if we know him, we shall in fact fall on our faces. And if we do not, that only shows that what we are trying to love is not yet God. In other words, Lewis is saying, if you've really encountered the one and true and living God, if you've really encountered him, then it will take you all that you have to not fall on your face. And Paul says, essentially, in these final verses, the reason why you and I ought to fall on our faces and magnify God for his greatness and beauty is all because of the gospel. It's all because of the gospel. And Paul shows us in these final verses what the gospel is and what it does so that we might magnify him in his greatness. So let me pray and we'll unpack it. Let's, let's pray. Um, Father, we uh, confess that we are enraptured by all sorts of things that are beautiful and are great. And yet, oftentimes, our hearts are apathetic towards you. Our hearts are too familiar with the gospel. And so, Lord, pray as we step into this passage, Lord, that you might take this passage and that you might use it 
that with our hearts we might see you afresh, or perhaps for the very first time for who you are, and that you would do a work so that we could do all that we can to not fall on our faces because of who you are. And we ask this all in your name. Amen. So what it is, what is the gospel? It's interesting, the, 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 the first opening verses, the last part of 25, the first part of 26, listen to what Paul writes. He says, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been, has been made known to all nations. Notice for a moment, as Paul opens here, he talks about this gospel being something that was hidden, but that now has been revealed. You know, it's interesting, you know, this is the time of year in which we all know what that's like, right? Because, I'll just be honest, at our house, some presents are wrapped. It's under the tree. And, right, there's going to be a moment where maybe, perhaps, there's going to be some shaking of the box, figuring out what might be inside there, But there's going to be a day, Christmas morning, in which there will be a revealing, right? In which the packages will be opened and there will be no longer anything disclosed. And, you know, all of you kids are like, I can't wait till that day. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. The countdown is there. And Paul is saying here, God has been at work from the very beginning, The God who created you, who loved you, who lost you, has done something in which he's promised to restore all that's been lost and broken in this world. And he's been on the move the whole time. And the gospel is something that has revealed actually what he's done to fulfill that. It's actually really interesting, you know, it notes here how the the prophets from long ago kept secret for long ages. If If you go back in the book of Romans, Paul draws out two signposts that were there, that were pointing to this moment. So the first signpost that Paul says in, his, in, in this book of Romans, it's in Romans 1-2, and he says, the first signpost is a king, is a king. Listen to Romans 1-2, he says this, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. Let's be honest for a moment. Why is it today that so many of our hopes are drawn to the political realm? It's because we know that's a place where you can do something for the common good. That's a place where you can rule. You can bring about a certain way of seeing things happen. But long ago, God made a promise, a covenant with David in 2 Samuel, which God said, this world is broken, but someday there is a king who is coming, who is going to rule and reign forever. And he's righteous and he's just, and he's good. Signpost number one. The second signpost is a signpost that reads righteousness. In Romans 3, 21, listen to what Paul says. 
But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, though the law and prophets bear witness to it. Now, I don't know what you think about when you think about righteousness. It's not a term we throw around a lot. If anything, we think about it being like self-righteous. But righteousness here is talking about conformity to a moral standard. It's actually talking about conformity to God's law. And what's interesting about this passage is right before it, and this is many months ago when we were here in the book of Romans, Paul says this, that no one's righteous. He says, actually, here's the deal. Whether you're religious or non-religious, guess what? You're not righteous. You may think you measure up, but guess what? You've flunked. Like, no one's getting a passing grade here at all. But then Paul says, there's a righteousness that's been revealed. What's interesting is this. is a signpost to the king and the signpost to that righteousness guess where they all point? They all point to the person of Jesus. That is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is Jesus. He is the long-awaited king who would come to rescue and restore and bring about a kingdom that would never end. A kingdom filled with justice and righteousness and goodness. And that he's come. And in this righteousness, this standard of God, in verse 22 of chapter 3, listen to what Paul says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Or another way of putting it is to say this, is that the moral GPA of what was needed to be right before God was perfectly fulfilled by Jesus. Perfect. And notice what verse 22 says. It says it's through faith. In other words, this is the unique thing about the gospel. It is not about you trying. It is about trusting. It is not about you achieving. It is about you relying on someone else. Listen, The essence of the gospel is that God long ago made a promise that he would rescue and restore all that was broken and lost because of sin. And along the way, there have been signposts, signposts pointing that this is what's coming and this is what's coming. When Paul says it's now been revealed, it's saying here's the unveiling. It's the person and work of Jesus. That's it. And so this morning, let me just put it this way. If you're curious or you're skeptical or you're not sure what you think about Christianity, all signs are pointing to Jesus. Therefore, bring your discouragement, bring your skepticism, bring your doubt, bring your cynicism, bring it to Jesus. I mean, seriously, look to Jesus. That's, it's so simple and yet it's not so simple. If you're not a Christian, if you're new to Christianity, you're exploring it, in one sense, it all comes down to that person. One of the next steps that I would strongly encourage, humbly commend to you, would be simply to read the Gospel of John. Pick it up over this Christmas season and begin to read and encounter the person of Jesus. 
Look at him afresh. Consider who he is and what God has said about him and what he's done. Because this is the point. I said Earlier we said this. If you really encounter him, it will take all of what you are to not fall on your face. And if you want to know what God's like, Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. Which means, do you want to know who God really is? Look to Jesus. But Paul doesn't just say we should magnify him for what the gospel is. He also calls us to magnify him for what the gospel does. In verse 25a, the first part, Paul begins this way. He says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. And it's really interesting here. Because at the very beginning of this series, in chapter 1, the whole theme of this series has been the power of the gospel. There's this, there's this moment where, where Paul writes and he says, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And in verse 25, Paul actually uses some similar language. When it says he's able to, it's actually the same word, dynamo, that there's power in this gospel But notice here it says there's power in this gospel to strengthen. And here's what that means. It means, Christian, what you need most is the gospel. Years ago, I remember hearing Jerry Bridges, great theologian, he's since passed, but he... um, he was talking about in his early years of ministry, and this is when he was like 60 or 70, he was talking about this, he he would say, you know, what I used to say was, before you become a Christian, you need to hear the gospel. And then after you become a Christian, you need to hear the word discipleship. And then he said, but over the years, what I've come to understand is that what you need to hear most before you become a Christian is the gospel. And the thing you need to hear most after you become a Christian is the gospel. And in that moment, that was, that was a seed in that moment that really hit me. Something I had not heard before. But it's actually not new. Because that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, this gospel has the power to strengthen you. Which means, as we often say here, we, we quote Keller a little bit here, the gospel is not merely the ABCs of Christianity, it's the A to Z. What you need most, think about this for a moment, is the gospel right now in your life. Christian, you need the gospel. So just for a moment, let me take us back through and remind us of where we've been. This is like the 30-second recap of the book of Romans here. Actually, be a little longer than 30 seconds. But, but listen to what Paul does. In Romans 1 to 3, what does he do? He reminds us. He's speaking to religious and non-religious people. And what does he say? He says, no one is righteous, no, not one. Paul begins to strengthen them in the gospel by actually helping them see themselves for who they really are. And think for a moment. Most of us, if we're honest, we think the world's divided between people who wear white hats and black hats. 
And what Paul has just said is every one of us is wearing a black hat. There is no one who's wearing a white hat in this world. There is no one who's good. Herman Melville has one of my favorite quotes. He, he puts it this way, Heaven have mercy on us all, Presbyterians and pagans alike, for we are all somehow dreadfully cracked about the head and sadly need mending. Listen, if many of us here are in the medical field, and you know how important it is to get the right diagnosis so you can be healed. Listen, when the gospel first comes, if you really encounter God for who he is, it's going to humble you. You're going to have to say whether you're religious or not religious, whether you think you're better than that person or that person, or that you think you're horrible. But regardless of what it is, it begins with this, that you and I need mending, that we are broken, that we are sinful. And that is actually really the place where we need to start. Because if we don't understand the problem, we will not be healed. But Paul, in those first three chapters, he closes out chapter three, moves into four and five, talking about the antidote, talking about the solution. Look at chapter five, verses 20 and 21. He says this, now the law came in to increase the trespass. Grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul tells us there that sin is no small thing. God doesn't wink at it. But listen to what it says there. It says, actually, while sin increased, what did grace do? It abounded all the more. You know, in our day, honestly, we functionally operate most of us, with karma. We oftentimes think, if I do good, I'm going to receive good, right? Or if we do bad, we're going, to, we're going to receive bad. We kind of, we reap what we sow. But grace is completely different. The great theologian Bono says this, grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. Let me ask you this morning, Christian, what sins are weighing you down? Where is their shame what are the places you don't even want to mention? When it says grace reigns through Jesus, when it says grace abounded all the more, it means this. The lie that we believe that your sin and my sin is too big for God to deal with is vanquished by the truth that his grace is sufficient. It's more than sufficient. It is no match for God's grace. That's good news. Paul continues 
in chapters 6 to 8, he unpacks how the gospel frees us, not only from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin. In other words, we can actually lead a new life. In this doxology, probably it's best shown in verse 26, at the end of 26, he says, to bring about the obedience of faith. You know, and think about this moment. You hear that language of obedience, and at first you might think, that sounds stifling, right? It sounds constraining, almost like a parent or a boss who's just like, do this because I said so. But when it's in the orientation of the gospel, this gospel, this God who's done this in the person of Jesus, that changes everything because then you can understand that this is a God who is for you, not against you. This is the God who's made you, who's designed you. And that freedom is not, as we say often, the absence of all constraints. It's actually the presence of the right ones. I think of, I think of a friend of mine who's Marriage was on the rocks because of an addiction to pornography. And how through the power of the gospel, he's walking in newness of life and faithfulness to his spouse. It wasn't overnight, but it's been the trajectory. It's what God's done in his life. I consider another one of my friends who's been walking through a season of suffering a time in which bitterness and envy have been knocking on the door of their hearts week after week. But it's really through the power of the gospel, through believing that even in those moments that God is for them and not against them, even believing that it's actually in the midst of that suffering that God is at work to make them more like his son, that actually that's been the way they've walked and learned to endure day after day and week after week through a very hard season. And listen, that process of chapters 6 to 8, it's not a straight path, right? It's not, I've arrived It's a long and winding road, but it is progressive. And then finally, in chapters 12 to 15, the the, the place we've been most recently, Paul has been talking about how the gospel changes our relationships with others, with those who we actually don't agree with. In Romans 13, 8, Paul says this, Owe no one anything except to love each other. And that was said to a community that was deeply divided, culturally, ethnically, over theological matters. And Paul is trying to help them understand this gospel has implications for those relationships right there. It actually helps you remain united. And that means in a divided world like today, in which apparently Facebook algorithms only accentuate the division we have with one another, it is actually the gospel that we need to strengthen our resolve and our relationships with one another. In other words, do you want to know how well you understand the gospel? Do you want to know how deeply it's sunk into your bone and marrow? 
then there's really one test. How are you doing in relationship to those you disagree with the most? Is it marked by moving towards them in a way that promotes peace and is thinking about how do I build them up? Because that is exactly what God has done for us in the person of Jesus. Do you see? I mean, think about this, Roman. What has Paul done? This whole letter, he's been giving the church the gospel. That's what he's been doing. And why has he been doing it? To strengthen them. Where do you need to be strengthened today in the gospel? Maybe you need that reminder to be humbled yet again by your need for salvation outside of yourself that you cannot achieve. Maybe you need to be reminded that your sin, though however big it might be, is no match for God's grace. Maybe you need encouragement today that that situation that you're walking through right now, that progressive growth in likeness to Christ and obedience, though it is hard, that you need to be reminded that God is at work in your life and to lean into it and to press into it. Or maybe it's the very relationships that are right around this room. Let me call us back for a moment to where we began. That this is all a doxology. What the gospel is and what the gospel does is to bring us to a point of magnifying God for his greatness and his beauty. Or another way of putting it is simply this. If you've really encountered him in the gospel, if you've really seen him afresh, even a glimpse, then it should take all of what you have in one way or another to not fall on your face and praise him. Or as the old hymn puts it this way, to God be the glory, great things he has done, so loved he the world that he gave up his son who yielded his life in atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. O come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give them the glory, great things he has done. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that you have revealed yourself in the gospel. And Lord, we pray that as we continue to lean into you, to learn about you, God, that you would sink this gospel so deeply into our hearts that what we know in our head would sink deeper into our hearts. Lord, in the midst of our anxiety, in the midst of our anger, in the midst of our confusion, would we settle in on this assurance that you are for us? You're not against us. Lord, where there are places where we think you do not care for us, or we think that you are disappointed with us, 
would you remind us yet again that there is now no condemnation for those in Christ? Spirit of God, would you empower us to walk in the newness of life, not leading in the old life, but walking with you, empowered for that new life. And Lord, we pray, pray for those who are exploring, trying to get their hands around who you are, that you would simply reveal through your word and by your spirit, your son Jesus. And we give you thanks and we give you praise. Amen.